Welcome to Wave Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Wave Family Church invites you to join us every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. for worship, the word, and fellowship. If you would like more information, visit us at wavefamily.church. Now get your Bibles ready and let's dive in. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Um, I'm going to invite you to turn over to Esther. We're going to begin chapter 2 today. We're going to look at verse 1 through 8. First and foremost, welcome. If it is your first time here, we're glad that you're with us. I'm going to ask you to please fill out a connect card. You should find that in the pew in front of you. If not, uh, we'll get one to you. But please, we would love to get to know you more. So if you're new, fill out a connect card. Uh, giving, if you'd like to give to continue the ministry that we're in right now, you can do that online at wayfamily.church or you can deposit an envelope with whatever it is you want to throw in there in the, in the boxes in the back. We have one on the right and on the left on your way back. And I hope that you would also stay with us for lunch afterwards. Yeah. I, thought, I know that's why Elton comes, you know, because he likes the lunch, the potluck lunch afterwards. But other than that, welcome. It truly is just encouraging to come together in the name of the Lord and to take a time to just hear from him and his word. So I'm going to invite you to Esther chapter 2. Again, we're going to look at verse 1 through 8. Today's sermon title is To Burden or To Bless. <clears throat> I'm going to be uh, genuine with you. My initial intention was to go through verse 18 in this section. And so this is going to be somewhat of a part one of two, really, because this is a this is a, this is a lot of information that's going on there. But as I was <clears throat> preparing for this, I, w- I really, really needed to linger here on these two sections that I'm going to introduce to you today, because sometimes we experience painful consequence consequences because of our poor decisions. Yes. <clears throat> Amen. Yes. See, you've made poor decisions before, not just you and me. Right. I hope that everyone else can relate to that sometimes there are painful consequences based on the decisions that we make, sometimes they're poor decisions, but at the same time there's also good decisions that we make and so we experience a blessing that comes from that, right? And sometimes we experience painful consequences because of poor decisions of others. Who can say amen to that? We've experienced that, right? Sometimes other people make decisions, poor decisions, and it actually affects more than that individual. And sometimes it may take even years for that consequence to really be felt. But these are things that we really need to be mindful. And as I was studying here, one of the things that I look for is lists or anything that compares or contrasts. And today, as, as, uh, or as, I, was, as, as, as I was preparing for this sermon this week, I really noticed a compare and contrast. There was really two different uh, persons here that I really like to compare. Okay, because each of them, I think, teaches us a very important lesson. So, and it really comes down to decisions and the consequences that come from them. Now, regardless, I think we can all agree that poor or foolish decisions often result in painful consequences. Can I get an amen? We need to understand this so that as we live life and we continue to move forward, every decision that we make is thoughtful and biblical. Really, as believers of Jesus Christ, our decision-making process should be according to the will of the Lord. How do I know what I'm doing according to the will of the Lord? You have to learn the scriptures. You have to know them. You have to memorize them. Man, if you could, that'd be amazing. You know, we have a student of the U of A who's part of our church. He's currently out on mission this summer. His name's Weston. You've heard him. He has dedicated himself to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. And when I checked him, yeah, he was on it. What? an admirable attribute if we could all just do something like that but at least know what this says that way when we need to move forward in life we all do we can make decisions that will ultimately bless and not burden 
bless ourselves and also those around us, not burden ourselves and those around us. <clears throat> For instance, I'm going to give you a very petty example. And I'm giving you this example simply because, and my wife can attest to this, as I was thinking of a personal example of when I've made terrible or poor decisions that had immediate consequence for me personally, I actually opted to not to share any of them because I don't like them. So here's a petty one, all right? <clears throat> now, seltzer waters, you've seen those, right? They're supposed to be a good alternative for soda. You agree? Well, I've decided that I'm gonna give them a shot. You know, it's an acquired taste because they don't really taste like much at first. And so once I got acquired to them, <clears throat> I decided that I'm going to substitute all of my soda intake for these seltzer waters. But then the decision kind of went up another click and I decided that I'm gonna also substitute my water intake with these seltzer waters. And so here I am now drinking seltzer waters. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I was drinking around eight to 10 cans a day of these seltzer waters, okay? I was going through them like crazy because it was refreshing. I think this was like summertime of last year or something like that. Now, what was the consequence of that? Was that a good decision or was that a poor decision? Well, I'll tell you, that was a poor decision on my behalf because I ended up with a stomach ulcer and severe stomach pain. And I had no idea why. And it was because I was consuming all this carbonated water and that's all. That's all I was consuming. And so the consequence of that, yes, it was painful. I ended up going to two emergency rooms that night. And I'll tell you why too, because I went to the first one and the first one didn't seem in much of an emergency. Oh, this guy has a stomach. This big guy has a stomach ache. He can handle it. Well, I couldn't handle it. So I got in the car and I went to another emergency room. And so here I am like, oh, you know, but this was my decision that ultimately ended up in a painful consequence. Did anyone else experience that painful consequence? No, I did, right? But then there are also times where we make decisions and others experience that consequence. I'll give you another petty example. Again, all my really good examples I'd rather not share with you. Maybe we can have a conversation about it because they're so awful, they're so painful, right? <clears throat> but I used to work for uh, a ministry where we would work with uh, men who were out of prisons and, and just drug addiction and whatnot and help them recover. And we would disciple them and, and grow them so that they could be prepared for the work environment. And so in this, I was responsible for a group of men, men who were learning to do work. Now, here's the thing. I, th this is one of the reasons why I didn't like this job, because if they were to do something, I was responsible for them to see that they do it well, right? If they didn't do it well, I would have to go behind them and do it myself. And there were several times where I got what I'll call a professional scolding. I didn't like it. I'll be honest with you, I didn't really like my boss either because of these professional scoldings, all right? But sometimes I would have to go back and redo the work that they had to do. And so I didn't like that. I didn't appreciate that. And sometimes if we zoom back, we think, oh, that's just minor. Sometimes we really make decisions that affect our children in a grave way. We make decisions that could affect our wives or wives vice versa, or sometimes we even make decisions that could affect future generations unbeknownst to us. And so we need to be very cautious about this. And this is uh, what I'd like to share with you to bless or to burden because what I'm seeing here is that decisions matter. And as we read this chapter in Esther, you'll see this kind of unfold a little bit more. Okay. Now, with this in mind, I think it's safe to say that because we live in a dark and broken world, we all understand that we too will experience negative things, negative consequences, painful consequences. That's just 
something that happened, if we can trace that back to Adam and Eve, their decisions actually affect us today. You see that. But we can also say the same about Christ. His decisions affects us today, but differently. One affects us as a burden and one as a blessing. And so we can trace back to the very beginning, right, and see how our decisions actually matter. They trickle down and they're very important. Now, here's the thing, though. Even though this is a painful and dark world and there's consequences that follow, God in his grace delivers us even from ourselves. And that in itself is a miracle. That's a blessing. And instead of discarding us, he purposes us for his divine plan and his glory. So despite terrible decisions, because I think we could all relate that we are somewhat experiencing a consequence of a bad decision, either ours or someone else's, the good news is that there's redemption through Jesus Christ and his gospel. And so he repurposes us instead of for destruction, for his purpose, for blessing. And so that's good news. That means that, oh, we've screwed up, right? We've messed up. It's not over because Christ is the creator of life. He brings us from death to life. He makes things new again. You've heard it said, I have been born again, right? Through Christ, there is new life. And so it's important for us to cling to that. But now I want to take you to Esther chapter two. But before we do that, I'm going to do a quick little recap and really quick. And we'll see here in Esther chapter two that regardless of poor human decisions, God still positions his people according to his purpose. Regardless of what you think is going on, God's still moving, and he still has his hand in everything that's going on. And he permits certain things to happen, but he still does not back off. He's doing something, he's purposing us for his divine plan and for his glory. Now, again, before we go into chapter two, quick recap. If you weren't with us last week, this is what happened at the end of chapter one. In a drunken state of mind, King Ahasuerus, who was Xerxes as well, makes a demeaning demand of the queen. Yes? If you don't know what I'm talking about, I encourage you to go back and read uh, Esther chapter 1. Then the queen refuses to comply, and as a result, this angers the king, right? The king is then counseled to rid of Queen Vashti and replace her with another that is better than she. And then the king also signs a decree that every man be master of his own household. And that's where we left off. We left off at the end of this party he's drunk, and he's made some very poor decisions, yes? So now we continue in Esther chapter 2. So follow along with me. And first, uh, let's read this together, yes. It says this, after these things, we just kind of recap there. When the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what, he, what she had done and what he had decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king and let the king appoint officers all the pro uh, in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel, under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them and let the young women who pleases or let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. Hmm. This pleased the king and he did so. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite, or Benjamite, Benjaminite. 
excuse me, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives that uh, carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa the citadel in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. We'll stop there for today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity, this beautiful privilege that it is to have your word in front of us, Father. We ask that you would help us understand it, that you would reveal, Lord Jesus, your instructions, your will to us today, Father. Thank you for this beautiful opportunity to come together and sharpen each other up according to your will. Thank you for your love. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, the first thing I'd like to look at is the consequences of a decision made in anger and haste. All right. Decisions made in anger and haste, meaning you're angry, you're making them quickly. There's consequences that come to that. And, and so it appears that it has been at least four years between the events from chapter one to this event in chapter two. So we left that party, that, that drunken party, and now we are four years ahead of that. You might be asking, how do you know that? Well, if we rewind a little bit, we go back to chapter 1, verse 3 uh, of Esther. It says that, <clears throat> let me find verse 3, in the third year of his reign of King Ahasuerus, or King Xerxes' reign, he gave a feast. So this is the third year of his reign. If we fast forward a little bit into chapter 2, and we look at verse 16, it says, uh, fast forward to verse 16, it says, in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. So the Bible gives us a little bit of insight there. We're kind of fast forward four years into the future from the last thing that we see here. Now, what's interesting is that if you look at extra biblical resources, uh, just historical documentations about Persia, it is clear that this is the time, that four-year gap is the time when King Xerxes actually goes and invades the Greeks. Okay? This is what happens then. And so what we have now is we have a whole new King Xerxes. He's back in Persia after attacking the Greeks. And if you know anything about history, if you were listening in weeks past, he actually fails against the Greeks. This is very significant. And you've probably seen movies out there about the Greeks beating, like Leonidas beating Xerxes or whatnot, you know, whatever the movies say. That's all fiction, right? Most of it is fiction. If you want accurate accounts, look at the historical documents. But he goes and he's defeated by the Greeks. This is very important because this king who used to think of himself as invincible has now been beaten and he's been brutally beaten. In fact, he accumulated the greatest army that the world had ever seen, the Persian army, which is composed of several different nations. This is an empire, an, an, an empire of an army. It is amazing, and they go against the Greeks, but the reason why they go against the Greeks is almost a very similar reason why uh, he kicks out es or, or Vashti in the first place. He's just trying to get revenge against them from years past, and so he goes, he gets a whooping, for lack of a better term, and then he returns and the king who was once invincible has now been defeated. And so now we see a very different Xerxes, right? And so that's where we live off. And so uh, this means that, again, we see a very different uh, Xerxes. We see someone who's feeling clearly, just based on what we're reading here, discouraged because those around him, as we read, were trying to encourage him. Who are those around him? 
these young men who were serving him, right? They're trying to cheer the king up. But what's interesting is that what he's thinking about is what requires some cheering up. He's thinking about Vashti. He's thinking about the reality of her absence, right? And so I want to just read back into that section here, verse 1 through 4. It says, after these things, everything that had happened four years ago, and also the defeat that he had experienced with the Greeks, when the anger of King Xerxes, or Ahasuerus, had abated, it means there's, he's not angry anymore, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, oh, look at this, this is beautiful advice here. Not really. Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins into the harem of Susa the citadel under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them and let the young women who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. And this pleased the king. Now, did you catch who's now advising the king? Remember last time he got poor advice from this really poor selection of leaders, and now he's getting advice from who? These young men. Now, I don't know about you, but um, it is really unheard of for young men to have these kind of ideas, right? And so for him, it's like, wow, how did you even think about that? But these, these young men you know, who are serving him, they, they suggested that they would you know, uh, uh, essentially what you can describe it, hey, do a beauty contest. Do an, a, 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 an imperial beauty contest and the most beautiful girl would be the queen and get them from everywhere. Wow, what a fabulous idea. And Xerxes actually says, yeah, I like that. I'm going to do that. Now, if, uh, if you thought that Xerxes needed new counselors, you know, back in chapter one, then I hope you realize that he really needed to have better friends, better people around him here in chapter two. And if you don't get that in chapter two, you'll see that later too, that he still doesn't get that lesson. He still doesn't learn the lesson that who we get counsel from really matters. And so these young men have this very unique idea, quote unquote, not really, that essentially, again, is described as the imperial beauty contest. But here's the thing, though, the winner takes the crown. Now, here's a lesson for us all. And I hope that you, you really understand what I'm saying here. If and when you're dealing with regretful consequences, and I think we all do, seek counsel that restores and builds your faith rather than your flesh. Here, Xerxes was in a very prime situation for someone to come and minister to him, to give him a little bit of wisdom, to give him a little bit of insight, to kind of turn things around for the better. But instead, he was counseled in a way that pleased his flesh. And I think that we all uh, sometimes have the tendencies to do that when something doesn't feel good, when I don't like the situation that I'm in, kind of run to the things that will numb me. I'll run to the things that really just satisfy me physically, but I don't necessarily run to the things that will actually help me solve the problem, right? will help me grow from this. And so there's no doubt that decisions made in haste or in anger lead to remorse. Now, if I ask you if you've ever made a decision like that, you probably would say, yeah, you know, I, I, I've prom I've, I probably have. In fact, sometimes we make promises that are costly, yes? Those are also uh, perhaps hasty decisions. And I'll give you an example of someone who did, Jephthah. He surely did a pretty hasty promise that resulted in tragedy. And if you haven't heard of Jephthah, I'm going to introduce you to him. Jephthah is one of the judges that we read about in the book of Judges. 
Now at this time, Israel was led by judges, warriors who would defend Israel from their enemies. Let me show you in Judges chapter 11 a little bit of what happened. So Jephthah comes to the Lord and he says, God, help me defeat the Ammonites. If you help me defeat the Ammonites, I, I, will, I will pay you back for that, essentially. Now, did God ask him to do that? No, that was his hasty idea. He was just in this state of mind where I have to win and I need the Lord's help. And so here's what happened in Judges chapter 11, 30 to 31. Just read that along with me. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give me the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. He didn't really think this through, I don't think. But if I can relate anything to what he was thinking, I would imagine that maybe he was thinking that his dog would be the very first thing that would come and greet him. Because when I get home, that's the very first thing that greets me is my dogs. In fact, when you visit my house, that's the very first thing that will greet you too, are the dogs. Quite annoying. He didn't think this through though. Look what happened as a result. Verse 34 of that same passage. Then Jephthah came to his home because he did receive victory from the Ammonites. The Lord did bless him with that. So he comes home at Mizpah and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child beside her. He had neither son nor daughter. And then the Bible goes on to explain his horror. He was so devastated at the reality that it was his daughter that came out. He says, no, 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 no. If you've seen The Office, no, God, no, 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 right? He has that kind of moment. Can you imagine the poor little girl? She comes out to meet him and her dad is like upset that she, it's her. You know, she just wanted to say hi. And, and, and just to kind of tell you the, what happens in the story, Jephthah actually follows through with his promise. And so that, that promise, that hasty decision that he made actually and truly was costly to him. And so, of course, it's certainly a, tra a tragedy to the max. I don't know if anyone, I'm pretty sure that none of us have experienced anything like that, but there's truly something devastating here. And I'm sure that even though it does not compare, we have all made decisions that were regretfully costly. And so whether it was an immediate or direct consequence or maybe something that you felt and perhaps even impacted someone later, you know, we are all subject, subjected to make these terrible decisions. Now, let me look at Esther chapter 2, verse 1 again. It says, After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti. Read this section. He says, And what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Now, I would probably say that it could be read this way. And what he had decreed against her. So what I'm seeing here is that Xerxes still doesn't see his personal responsibility in his decision. And here's a point I'd like to make. Regardless of who counseled him, the decision was ultimately his. Regardless of whatever circumstances are happening around us, the decisions are ultimately ours and we can have regret. We can kick ourselves for our past mistakes and I, I'm sure that a lot of us do that. But if we don't have genuine repentance, and if we don't acknowledge our wrong, then we have not grown and we are not redeemed from that yet. We are likely to continue in that foolishness. Now, remorse is a good thing when we have sin, but repentance is key and it is different. It is truly different. 
It's not enough to just feel sorry for the decision that you make. You have to come to the Lord and repent. What does repentance mean? It means that you hate the reality that you committed that sin. You hate it. You despise it to the max. And in fact, if you could kill that sin, you would because you hated that much. And when you repent is that you truly turn around and you see that you would never, ever do that again. That is repentance. We could only really truly do that with the help of our Lord and the Holy Spirit. But remorse is good. It is not enough. Repentance, however, leads to salvation. And that's something that Xerxes is not seeing. He's just seeing, oh, that's just what happened. I had nothing to do with it, I guess. No, we have to acknowledge our, we have to take responsibility for the things that, that we have done. Because the fact of the matter is that Xerxes really only had himself to blame. Now, this is a good time for him for confession and repentance. But we didn't see that. Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ is sufficient for our forgiveness and our restoration. Let's learn from Xerxes here. Decisions made in anger or haste are often costly. And instead of seeking counsel that feeds the desires of the flesh, we, must, we, we certainly must seek the uh, counsel that fuels our faith in, uh, itself. So the question is, do you have that? Do you have a friend? Do you have a brother or a sister that you can go to for biblical godly counsel? That's important. That fuels faith. That encourages growth that allows us to come to a point where we actually not just have remorse for our sin but we come to repentance <clears throat> amen let me show you proverbs 28 26 it says this whoever trusts his own mind is a fool but he who walks in the wisdom of the lord will be delivered colossians 2 8 see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to lamental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So here's the point of that. Even the best proposals and counsel from the world cannot and will not meet our deepest needs. Only Christ has the power to do that. So if you think you're getting good advice from somewhere and if you think, yeah, that's what I'm going to do, but it's far away from Christ, that's not going to actually satisfy your truest, deepest needs. It's probably only going to mask it and probably for only a short time and it probably will also come with painful consequences. But when we come to the Lord, when we cling to Him, we have this beautiful satisfaction. We live. We're experiencing life and life in abundance. You know who realized this? Somewhat? Judas Iscariot. The man walked with the Lord. He knew Him personally. And yet, something inside of him, it wasn't Christ. There was definitely a void there. Something inside of him convinced them that it was a good idea to betray the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And then when he had done it, he realized that was a mistake. The problem is that this man did not run to repentance. He did run in a sense of remorse. He ended up hanging himself. All right, so we realize that our decisions have great consequences and they could be to bless or to burden. And so that was that section there. The next section I want to show you is the consequences that burden or bless others. We're going to focus more on the blessing side of things. Read with me verse 7 or 5 through 7 now. It says this. Now there was a Jew in Susa the citadel whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjamite. Benjaminite. That's a hard word for me to say. Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem along the captives, carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, 
the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as her own daughter. So here we are being introduced to the first Jew, the first Hebrew, the first Israelite of the story, finally here in Esther chapter 2. We shift away from Xerxes and we come towards Mordecai, the Jew is how he is described. The first question that I'll throw out is, why is there a Jew in Persia? Do you not know that Persian, Persia is a very heathen country and it's probably very impossible to be a Jew there? Why is Mordecai the Jew there? Because no serious and devoted Jew would choose to live in the midst of that type of pagan environment. And so Mordecai and the Jews, all of the other Jews who were in Persia, were there as a result of someone else's foolishness. So here's Mordecai and the Jews in Persia because someone else put him in that situation. The sins of the kings of Israel, the past kings of Israel, resulted in the invasion and the exile of the Jews. And you can read that in 2 Kings chapter 24 and 25. Now, this is a prime example, again, of consequences that burden others. Now, little did they know, these kings who defiled the Lord, right, who defiled the temple, who sinned against the Lord, little did they know that their sin would have grave consequences for generations to come. And here's Mordecai and the Jews around him experiencing this at the time. Now, as believers, we shouldn't live in a manner that would burden others. We ought to live in a manner that would bless others instead. So everything that we do, are we blessing someone? Are we blessing someone? Are we blessing someone? That should be uh, in the forefront of our mind. Matthew 5.16 says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so the purpose is to glorify God. Philippians 2, verse 3 to 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, this is Mordecai's attitude throughout this entire narrative. In fact, as we're introduced to Mordecai, we see that he actually considers others more significant than himself. We see that he is a person of selflessness, someone who fears God, who actually acquires his wisdom from the word of the Lord. This is Mordecai. And although he found himself in a situation that was a result of disobedience of others, he would live in a way that would bless others. And for instance, let me show you this. Mordecai took Hadassah, or Hadassah, as his own daughter, who is Esther. We learned that Esther's Hebrew name is Hadassah, Esther, same person. Now, I don't know what happened to Esther's parents, but we can see that they have uh, died. They are deceased, and Esther was left orphaned. Those are the facts that the Bible provides. Now, this is truly a tragic circumstance. Yes, a true loss. No one would debate that. Uh, But yet, at all times, whether in days of trouble, discipline, or blessing, God has preserved and is preserving his people, and we can count on that. Regardless of what happens, God is moving, God is working, he's positioning those whom he's positioning for a time such as this. And so sometimes we think, man, I wish I lived in the 50s. Man, I wish I lived in the future, or I wish I lived back then. No, 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 no. God brought you for this time right here, right now. And they were there for that time right then, right when. Okay, God is in control of everything. Nothing is an error. Nothing is a mistake. Everything that we're experiencing, I promise you this, 
he's guiding and he's in it, right? We seek him, we seek his wisdom and his guidance and we will come out victorious here. And so Mordecai and Esther have been found themselves, they found themselves in circumstances that they did not choose. Nevertheless, God was ever present and they were under his divine care. So what happens next? Verse eight. So when the king's order and edict were proclaimed because he thought what the young men suggested was a good idea, and when many young women were gathered in Susa the citadel in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's place and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. Now, I don't know what you know if you know what a um, what um, the the word escaped me. What was it? The harems. Excuse me. Sorry. I don't know if you know what a harem is. But uh, the king had a, a, a place just for women. And if you were taken into a harem, you actually had a very boring life because you may have seen the king once and then been forgotten forever. And that was it. And so for someone to be taken into the king's harem and given treasures and jewelry and cosmetics and whatnot, it sounds like a nice beauty, you know, what do you call it, makeover? What are, they, what are the Gen Zers calling nowadays? A glow up, you know? <laughs> You might, you might have a glow up, but then your life sucks, really, if you're in a harem. And here's Esther being taken out of her will, you know. She doesn't want to go there, but because she's good looking, she's taken into this place, and now she's finding herself in a circumstance that she's not necessarily thrilled about. But here she is, and God is always in control. Let me take you to Isaiah chapter 43. I just want to show you a promise of the Lord. And this is so good for those of us who are struggling right now because we were perhaps in situations that we did not choose to be in. That happens. See, all of us could relate to this. Someone here could relate to what's going on here. And so here's a promise of the Lord from Isaiah chapter 43, verse um, 2 to 3. It says this. When you Actually, I'm going to read from verse 1 through 3. It says, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burdened. And the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, cushion, Seba, in exchange for you. The promise is regardless of what you're going through, regardless of whatever decisions have been made that have affected you in a negative way, I am the Lord your God is what he says, and I am with you, and I will be, see that you will not be overwhelmed. Remember, everything that we do and everything that we process should be with an eternal perspective. What happens in this world is very temporary compared to what's eternal. God's promise is that he will be with us and he will see us through to eternity and eternity forever, right? Now, a biblical commentator made a point and I'd like to share it with you because I think it's just so good. It's, he says this, God was using Mordecai to protect and preserve Esther's life. We are not told at what age she was taken into his care, but we will see soon that this adopted orphan would be used to save her people. Do not let anyone ever tell you that adoption does not matter. As awful as it would be for Esther to be gathered into the king's harem, she was still able to meet the qualifications because she had been protected and loved by Mordecai, not abandoned on the streets, 
to settle into the arms of any passerby. I love the way he articulated in, in this way because it says, hey, regardless of what's going on, God was using all of these pieces to protect her and essentially to use her for his grand purpose. She would eventually redeem her people. Now, here's the thing, though. We, too, are adopted as sons and daughters. We are adopted as heirs to the kings. This is a beautiful picture that we have here of the relationship that we have with the Lord. You know, we weren't we could have been left out. We really could have, but yet the Lord chose to adopt us. Ephesians 1, 5 says he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus, to Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. This is what the Lord saw fit. Now, our rebellion and pursuit of selfish ambition has brought us painful consequences. We can totally agree on that. Now, consequences that have either affected us directly or have burdened others. We must live so that we bless God and others and not burden, though. Xerxes exercised his authority for his own gratification. He went with what sounded good to him without considering others. Christ, however, exercises authority for our good sacrificially and mindfully. Do you see this contrast? You see how people are? You see how Christ is? Isn't Christ so much better? because we are able to experience the blessing that comes from what Christ has done. Romans 4, 25 tells us that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, selfish rulers or people think only of preserving their own lives or gratifying themselves. And we can all see that if we just kind of look at the news, right? But Jesus presented his life as a substitute for ours. He placed our good above his own in that moment and in doing that, which is loving and righteous, he actually turned it around and glorified the Lord. So it wasn't all about us anyway. It was all about him, <laughs> you know. But in that moment, he set aside his personal preference because you can say, you can see this when he prays to the Lord, be your will, take this cup away from me. He knew that it would be painful, but yet he set it aside and he did the thing that was good. He did the thing that was loving. He had the future in mind, right? He knew that the consequence of this particular sacrifice would ultimately bless his people and glorify God. And so he moves forward in that. Again, we don't do that instinctively. We're selfish in what we do. We think through things. We wonder, is it going to hurt? Nah, I'm out. Is it going to feel good? All right, sign me up. You know, sometimes the right thing hurts. Sometimes the right thing is hard to do. But the consequence that comes thereafter is fruitful, it's good, and it blesses us, and it blesses others, and it, therefore it blesses the Lord. Now, John 10, 10 through 11 says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says that he came that we may have life and have it abundantly. What a blessing. So I'm going to give you a couple of takeaways before this, we wrap this up. But I hope you realize this compare and contrast here. That the decisions that we have and how the Lord positions us ultimately are for His glory, regardless of what it may appear. Takeaway number one, I'll just repeat what I have said already. If and when you're dealing with regretful consequences, seek counsel that restores and builds your faith rather than your flesh. Find someone. To, to be that source of encouragement. Find a, a, a Bible study. We have several groups. In fact, we're going to start them up here in the fall. 
please be mindful of what it is or what those opportunities are for you to be able to engage and to be encouraged by the word of the Lord. Takeaway number two, as believers, as the redeemed of the Lord, we shouldn't live in a manner that would burden others. We need to be mindful as the Lord is mindful of us. We ought to live in a way that blesses others as Christ did for us. Anything that we do as Christians, we are imitators of Christ. So if grace has been poured on us, we are also gracious with others. If love has been expressed to us, we will also express love to others. This is undeserving of us from Jesus. And therefore, we shouldn't look to see whether or not our neighbor is, is worthy of it. We need to do it because Christ did it for us. That's essentially the bottom line. Now, Jesus didn't have to use his authority for good, but he did. Therefore, again, as imitators of Christ, do good do things that will bless others, not necessarily the things that gratify the flesh. Amen? Amen. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the encouragement that comes out of it and also, Father, the correction. For I know that we've made mistakes. I know that too often we've made decisions that gratify ourselves. Lord, we ask you sincerely to help us live according to your will and not ours, according to your divine and perfect will. And we know that we cannot do it by our own strength, but only by you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be our comfort and our strength in this time of need. Help us, Lord, be vessels of honor, instruments in the Redeemer's hands, Lord Jesus, that we would bless and not burden. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.